today's episode, Pastor Lee covers the topic of being obedient to the mission of God. Isaiah encountered God and heard the challenge to go for the Lord without being told exactly when or where. This encounter changed his life, and his epic response of obedience is recorded in the scriptures for us to learn from. Just like Isaiah did, listen today and hear the Word of God speak. And so today, we are in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, and let's just begin by reading verse 8. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And so that's our question for today. Who will go for us? Interestingly enough, uh, the Bible uses the word us there, uh, sort of a precursor to the teaching of the Trinity. And so uh, God is asking this question, who will go for us? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... uh, we have it. I don't know where we'd be without it. And so, Lord, I pray that you just continue uh, to teach us. May we all seek to be students and learn as much as we can, as long as we're here. Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who will go for us? It is a question that has echoed down through the ages. It is a question that was before the time of Isaiah. It's a question that is echoed, obviously, in the midst of an experience that he is having with God. It is a question that is asked even today, even at this very moment. It is a question asked by God to everyone who has ears to hear. Notice, it was not specifically asked of Isaiah. Now this question shows up in the midst of an experience that Isaiah, the prophet, is having with God. But God does not say, hey Isaiah, will you go for me? He doesn't say, hey hey Isaiah, um, will you answer the call? He doesn't even say, hey Isaiah, who will go for me? He just says, of all that are around, he, he asked the question, who will go for us? And so uh, both questions that are asked are asked in a general sense to all who were listening. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Of course, Isaiah, being in his presence, heard the question and took it personally. What we will see is that it is a question to which Isaiah felt compelled to answer. But the question is this. Another question for us is this. Why did Isaiah feel compelled to answer? And I think as we walk through this text together, we will see some things that are happening that bring him into crisis moment where he has to make a decision and he is compelled to answer this question. Whom will... Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
Leonard Ravenhill was a British evangelist, um, and he made this statement. He said, The greatest miracle that God can do is take an unholy man out of an unholy world, make that man holy, then put him back into that unholy world, and keep him holy in it. <laughs> and that's sort of what took place in Isaiah's life. And it's, and it's what's taking place in our lives, right? As God is sanctifying us, as God is making us more like Him. This describes what the Lord was doing in Isaiah's life in chapter 6 when he heard the question, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? So what I want us to do is look at chapter 6 and see what is probably one of the greatest encounters with God recorded in the Scriptures. If you've never read Isaiah chapter 6, I would encourage you to read it even after our time together this morning because it is a powerful description of a man's encounter with God. And so we're seeing him experience God. And what I want us to do is see what, what happens. Let's look at some of the things that unfold as he's in God's presence and powerful presence, might I add, and, and see what that leads to and how that helps us get to the bottom of this question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The first thing I want you to notice is in verses 1 through 5. And that is that experiencing God causes us to worship Him. Experiencing God causes us to worship Him. Let's read there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy of host the whole earth is full of his glory and the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke so i said woe is me for i am undone because i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts now let's set the stage for just a moment Isaiah had been in service with King Uzziah. King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years and had had a substantial impact on Judah in a very positive way. And so uh, Isaiah looks to Uzziah as his king. Uzziah had played a prominent role in Isaiah's life. Now in chapter 6, the Bible is telling us that King Uzziah is dead. Now, when someone that we love, respect, admired, when someone that has impacted our lives and all of the world around me dies, it's tragic. It actually hurts to the bones, right? And so we have Isaiah here who has seen his king, by the way, die of leprosy. And so it would have been a painful, horrible, agonizing 
causing death for him to watch. Now the king is dead. The throne is empty. 52 years of stability are at stake. It seems as though Isaiah probably began to identify the future of Judah with the future of the king. And it's at this moment that he finds himself in a crisis and he has an experience with God. And uh, what happens is God demonstrates his power as the ultimate king. The king in uh, the uh, throne in Judah is empty, but the throne in heaven is not. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And so Isaiah is being reminded here early that the king, the true king, is not dead. The one who has control over Judah and all other nations still reigns. This moment is a crisis moment for Isaiah as he is experiencing God and as he experiences the person and the presence and the power of God, we see an awesome sight. It says that, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And this just demonstrates how great and mighty and awesome he was that the whole temple was filled with the train robe. Here at this very moment, God and Isaiah were the only supreme realities. Everything else around him was gone. Right? When you come into the presence of God and you recognize who He is and who you are, nothing else really matters. And so he's in this experience where he is going to begin to worship him. The Bible says above it, above the throne, stood seraphim, which are fiery winged creatures, angelic beings, something like he had never seen before. And they are flying above the throne, and they are praising and worshiping God. They are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that word holy means separate from everything else. That there is nothing else like God in all of the universe. And so the seraphim, the angelic fiery winged creatures. Now, would you try to put yourself in this position? Here's what's interesting. We've got to be careful. I believe that we today should experience God in our lives. But this is not an experience in Isaiah chapter 6 that is normative. In other words, it's not normal. Anybody, don't raise your hand, anybody in here had this same experience? Okay. This is a description. It's descriptive not prescriptive. We don't have to have this to be okay with God. We just have to experience His Son Jesus in our life. But this is a description of an experience with God from which we learn great things about the Lord and ourselves. And so what we learn is that when we experience God through His Word, through the moving of His Holy Spirit in our lives, it causes us to worship God. 
The Bible says in verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Likely it was that of representing incense offerings uh, there on the altar, because the altar is going to be mentioned here in a moment. This is painting a very vivid picture of the presence of God, of the vision that Isaiah is seeing, and it's going to lead him into uh, the, the uh, practice of worship. Experiencing God causes us to worship Him. If it doesn't, I'm not sure we've experienced Him. It's true. People can reject that, right? I mean, people, God can, can, can reach out and God can make sure that His Word is made known to people and people, people can turn away from that. They have. Even in the book of Acts, we hear where uh, Stephen is preaching, and or Peter's preaching, and he says, you stiff-necked people, you do reject the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. And so, yeah, that's possible. But the truth is, for us sitting here today, we can be overwhelmed by the presence of God in our lives, and we can understand who He is. We can get a glimpse even if it's the train of His robe. If we can just get a glimpse, it's enough to cause us to fall on our face and worship God. And so this is where it begins. It begins in His presence. It begins with His power. It begins with His might, with His all. Listen, we need to read our Bibles so we can know who God is. In fact, you won't know Him apart from His Word. Oh, well, you might see some of His wonderful creation, and it is wonderful, but you won't know Him personally that way. You'll just simply know there is one that exists that can do that. And so we've got to read our Bible so that we can know how great and mighty and powerful God is. And when we know how great and mighty and powerful God is, it's going to cause us to worship. Secondly, experiencing God leads us to confess our sins and to repent. There in verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand the live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. This is... um, This is something that is flowing out of, this activity that we just read about is flowing out of this encounter with God. And what has happened is Isaiah has recognized how awesome and holy God is, which in turn makes him recognize how sinful he is. When you get to know the holy God, it puts your life in perspective. And that's what's happening with Isaiah. He has recognized in the presence of God and the power of God, the shaking of the temple. He is saying, whoa, whoa, is me. Right? And he says, I, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm one of them. And he recognizes himself 
as a sinner in the presence of God in need of cleansing, in need of forgiveness. And when he cries out to God for that, what happens? The seraphim takes a coal from the altar, which is where sacrifices are made. And he takes a coal from the altar and he touches his lips, which by the way, it was his lips that he was going to be using for God. And fire represents cleansing. And so he is cleansing him and preparing him for a work that he has in the near future. He has a vision of God. Then he has a vision of himself. Vision of God is holy. Vision of himself is sinful. And the truth of the matter is, sin must be dealt with. Can I tell you something this morning? God doesn't overlook sin. God doesn't pat us on the back and say, oh, well, you're a good person. You know, it's fine. Uh, We'll just let that slide. Even when we are forgiven of sin, it's not because He's overlooking it. It's because He died for it. It's because He paid the penalty for it so that we could be forgiven. It's not something that He overlooks. It's something that He went to the cross for and died an excruciatingly painful death for the sins of the whole world. Confessing our sin and repenting of our sin is a necessary step in preparation for answering the question, who will go for us? 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. The altar here is mentioned, and we know that it is a place of sacrifice. It is an instrument used where sacrifices were made for the cleansing and the forgiveness of sin. So don't miss the progression that's taking place in Isaiah chapter 6. God reveals Himself to Isaiah. And Isaiah has a vision of God, then he has a vision of himself, and he realizes he has great need in his life. And that need is for forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin. And he cries out, woe is me. The the problem with many of us today is we are very prideful. I'm not sinful like so-and-so is. Right? I'm, I, I, I don't, I don't, don't put me in that category because I'm, I'm much better than that. And the fact of the matter is the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one way for sin to be dealt with, and that's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He and He alone can forgive us, can save us. He and He alone can keep us saved and continue to help us grow in our faith. And so we have experiencing God leading to worship, experiencing God leading to confession of sin. And and by the way, I think this is one of those things that we can look at and as it's being described, the process here is very applicable to us in the sense that when we truly come into the presence of holy God, we're not going to be comfortable if we are in our sins. We're going to cry out like Isaiah did. He said, woe is me. 
And, and we're going to recognize that. And, and we're, we're not going to be, we're, we're going to be under conviction. We're, we're not going to be comfortable. We can't, we can't be complacent in the presence of God with sin in our life. And I will tell you this morning, if you're complacent in your sin, something's wrong with your spirituality. And you need to make sure you've really received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because it is not, according to Scripture, possible for you to walk around on this earth in sin and not be convicted of it. It's not possible. You know, we're not punching a ticket here. This is not fire insurance. We're not raising our hand and saying, I prayed the prayer, so I'm in, and I can live like hell the rest of my days. That's not Christianity at all. And so we encounter God, we are amazed at who God is, and we understand His holiness, which brings us to the understanding of how unholy we are and how much we need Him, and we cry out to Him for forgiveness of sin and for cleansing of that sin. And then the third thing that we find here is that experiencing God compels us to serve Him compels us to serve Him. There in verse 7 it says, And He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice He says, I heard. I heard Him say. He didn't call Him by name. He just heard like standing there hearing the voice of the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. So, one of the things that we need to understand here this morning is that the vision of God is the vision of service. It's plain and simple. God is a missionary God. God sent His only begotten Son. On mission to die on the cross for us. God is a sending God. He is a missionary God. A vision of God is a vision of service. And what we notice here is Isaiah has been prepared to answer the question. He's seen God. He knows who He is. He's seen Himself and He's asked for forgiveness. And now, only now, may I suggest to you, only now is He ready to answer the question. I think we get this wrong because I think in some ways we think, I just want to serve God and and we forget about who He is because we get busy doing things, quote, for the Lord. And we forget about our sinfulness. And we don't think it affects the way we serve. And yet, I don't think we can take this question personally until we know who God is, until we've gotten right with God and made our sins right with Him. At this point, Isaiah is not answering the question out of obligation. He's not saying, 
I'm obligated, so I guess I will. He's not saying, nobody else will do it, so I think maybe I should. That's not what he's... He says, I know who God is, and He cleansed me of my sin. Lord, here I am. Use me. No, no, no. Back up. Get, get behind me. I'm going first. Right? I, I want to be the first one. And so he's not waiting around. Maybe somebody else will go before me. Maybe somebody else will volunteer. He's saying, I've experienced God. I owe all to Him. And so he volunteers. He says, here am I, send me. Not on the basis of obligation. Not even out of a strict legalistic sense of obedience. But out of love. Out of adoration. Out of a sense of awe. Because of who God is. Experiencing God compels us to serve. And what happens is, we see him putting feet to his faith. It's about a relationship, not a religious activity. The service that he is volunteering for is flowing out of a relationship, not out of a desire to try to appease God with religious activity, but out of a love and out of adoration for him. Isaiah offers himself. Isaiah offers himself, and yet he doesn't know what he's offering himself for. <laughs> that speaks to the idea of this relationship, too. It's, it's not like this. Okay, tell me what you want me to do, and then I'll tell you if I will. Give me all the details. I want to know exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, where all the resources are going to come from. Isaiah heard the question and he offered himself before he knew any of the details. You know why? Because he was offering himself to God. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. He offered himself to God in a very simple, but in a very heartfelt way. And so we have in the first part a vision of God, the second part a vision of self, and the third part a vision of service. But here's what's interesting. <laughs> I'm thankful that this is not a passage that is normative for us. In other words, it's not going to be like this because after Isaiah volunteers, this is what God tells him basically. Well, you're going to go preach to these people and they're not going to listen. None of them are going to listen to what you have to say. In fact, by the time you're done, there's only going to be a tenth of them left. There'll be a, there'll be a remnant compared to a tree being cut down and a stump being left behind. Let me read that to you. Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And so he says, you're going to go preach and this is what's going to happen. They're going to grow hard. They're going to grow cold. They're not going to listen to what you have to say. And Isaiah acted just like you and I would. He says, how long do I have to do this? That's what he said in verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? 
And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it. And will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. He compares what's going to happen to all the trees being cut down and nothing but a stump being left. Now, I'm going to tell you as a preacher, that would not be an encouraging vision for me. I'm thankful that's not what's happened in Red Lodge. You know, God could have said, like Isaiah, I'm sending you to Red Lodge and you're going to preach and nobody's going to listen. And by the time you're done, this is what's... Now think about it. 52 years of stability under King Uzziah. It's fixing to go away. So Isaiah is being called by God here to a specific task. God's shown him his power, his sovereignty, his kingship. He's cleansed him of his sins. He's prepared him now for service. He's eager to serve. And it's going to be tough. He's going to watch people die. He's going to watch them die in their sins. He's got the good news that he's going to be sharing. Repent, turn from your wicked ways as prophets did. But it's going to be bleak. It's not going to be much left after he's done. So let me suggest to you that he could not have taken this on had he had not experienced God. Can I tell you that his experience with God is what brought him to the threshold of his service, of being able to look on it with steadfast, calm resolve, and even peace because he knew God. And so here's what we want. We want, when we get ready to serve, we want the promise of success. And we really don't want to try it if we don't think we're going to succeed according to what we think is success. Success in the Christian life is faithfulness to whatever it is God has asked us to do regardless of the results. If Isaiah would have been like most men and he had not experienced God, he had not seen a vision of who God is. By the way, that's why you need to read your Bibles. You need a vision of God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, you need to see God in His power, in His authority, in His sovereignty, in His mission. You need to see Him in every book of the Bible. You need a vision. You need a clear picture of who He is because I'm going to tell you, that will give you the resolve you need when you're up against certain things in this world. It'll keep you going when you want to quit. Knowing who God is brings us to the point of being able to respond to the question, who will go for us? In fact, when you experience God and you're cleansed by God, 
After having seen a vision of Him and a vision of yourself, you're prepared for service, and you're so prepared for service that you just don't really ask a lot of questions. You just offer yourself to God. Today here in this place, you say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Well, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. We often think that we think that that means Africa. We're not talking about that. We, we're 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 t- well for my one of my daughters. She'd love to go back to Africa. But we're just saying, give yourself to God. Right? Make every part of your life available to Him. Everything you got, the breath that you breathe, the legs you used to walk with, the mind you used to think, the money you have in your pocket, the house you have to live in, everything. God, here I am. It's all yours. Here I am. I'm just offering myself to you. How do you want to use me? What what are we going to do? Isaiah forgot everything else that was going on. So here I am. Just offered himself to God. Doesn't happen though. Will not happen. Will not happen unless you see God for who He is in His Word. But when you see Him, when you see Him for who He is in His Word, it's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you respond to these questions. This is not a question that is just for people who are missionaries. This is a question for everybody who knows who God is. And what God's all about. And who we are in need of salvation and forgiveness. There are some, one gentleman said, there are some who delude themselves with the hope that Almighty God will take and thrust them into some field of service. And that He will speak in their ear in an audible word. That'd be nice, right? I mean, I think I don't know I don't know any of us that wouldn't like that. I mean, if God would just pick me up literally and put me where I need to be and tell me exactly what he wants me to do. I mean, I, I like hear it hear it. But that's not normally how God works. In fact, you won't know any of that until you say, Here I am. Lord. I'm ready for whatever. It's kind of like, uh, you may have heard me say this before. Um, It's kind of like taking two pieces of paper. And on one of those pieces of paper, you write everything down that you are willing to do for the Lord. Now, you may turn it over and keep writing. You may have two or three pages of, Lord, I love you, and this is what I'm willing to do for you, and you you just keep writing. And then you sign your name to it, and you give it to the Lord. But this other piece of paper, you leave blank, and you sign your name to it, and you give it to Him and tell Him to fill it in. That's different. The first one has conditions. Lord, I will love you and serve you until, or up till this point. I'll give you this much. This one, I'm just giving you my life. Whatever that means and whatever that looks like. Send me. At this point, there was no more time for talking, no more time for contemplation, no more time for 
even prayer, though he was prayerful, it was time to actually make the decision to serve, to be willing to do whatever God had called him to do. Here's the deal. The clearer the vision of God, the stronger the impulse to offer yourself to Him and to act upon that vision. Here's what we understand happened here. He saw God. He believed. He confessed his sins and he was cleansed. And then it was time to go to work. It was time to serve. This morning, I pray that all of us hear God's question in a personal way. Just, just imagine for a moment that you, you have encountered Him and you've seen this great vision of Him, possibly through the reading of His Word, and now we're all in this place together and here, here comes the question. So the question is being asked today, not just in 700 B.C., the question is being, the Holy Spirit is asking the question today. Who will go for us? No, no, you don't understand. The Holy Spirit is asking the question among us here in this room today. Who, who will go for us? Are you getting it? It's a, it's a live question. In our presence here and now. And the wonderment is if the response will be, here am I. I don't have much to give you, Lord, but I'll give you myself. Whatever that means and whatever that looks like. God calls to you and to me who will go for us. And our answer really does depend on what we think of God. Which, by the way, that's, that's your theology, what you think of God and how that determines much about the way you live your life. Jesus said, to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Challenging question from the Word of God. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Thank you for listening to the Word of God speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode.